everybody, Zach Flock here with another episode of Shop Talk. Very excited today to talk to two good friends of ours, Kate and Patrick Theme. Uh, they are currently working on slash starring in Live from Drama Shop, an evening with Patrick and Kate Theme. There, I put Pat first that time. I broke the formula. Oh my it. gosh, I got top billing? <laughs> yeah, it was a mistake. I messed up. <laughs> you want to go over again to the beginning? regret or? this. Do you want to start no, over? No, let's or? roll with it, man. Okay, all right, all right. Let's go with it. Let's embrace the, the liveness. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Kate and Pat Theme are our guests today. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. We are really happy to be here. We're yeah. happy to be on the podcast again. So I, yes. do, have a, I do have a question, though. You're saying that we're, we're setting up for this concert. Are we going to be able to make it through the Broadway tryout? And are you going to have to recast us? Well, I mean, we'll see how the first weekend goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is Kate and Patrick. That's not them. It's like the C version of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It'll be it's an evening me twice. With, yeah, it'll be an, <laughs> an evening with Kate and Patrick starring Sean and Elmi Clerkin. Yeah, as Kate and Patrick. <laughs> as Kate and Patrick. Yeah, I'm looking Oddly forward to that. Sean is going to be me yeah, and, and Elmi's going to be you. Absolutely. Yeah, that well, you know. Hey, uh, how are you guys? <laughs> Doing fantastic. Well, yeah, it's it's we've had a really great week of rehearsal and uh start of school. Equally great week to the start of school. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do that with a straight face. Um, we had a start of school. And uh, we're tired, but we're we from we're feeling pretty good right now. And everything went a hundred percent well. Good yeah. with school. I no. feel like we really timed this out right. You know, let's have two weeks of rehearsal, and let's have it on top of you guys returning to the classroom. Let's just throw it all at you at once. Why not, right? Uh, exactly. I remember you asking us about doing this concert back in the summer and I was like I, I don't know what to tell you I have no idea what's going to happen with school if we're even going back what it's going to look like how crazy it's going to be and then of course we said yes anyways yeah <laughs> so we're theater people that's what we do right yeah when we're when we're not busy we're going crazy right right and yeah and so for for drama shop this is the the big season 10 opener um it's the two of you um I'll talk a little bit about, I didn't mean for that to sound so like, God help and us. This is, but, this is all we got. This yeah. is all we could get. Um, but no, let me, uh, maybe I can give a little bit of background here. So, you know, Drama Shop creative team was was planning, how do we, you know, how do we have a 10th season given everything that's going on in the world right now and how do we do it safely and, you know, all the other factors that are, that are a part of it. Um, and we sort of arrived first on this concept of, we can't plan an entire year of shows at once. So let's announce the first half, we'll call it act one. We'll, we'll announce act one of our season and we'll have a little bit more, hopefully a, a better picture than uh, of what to do for the second half of the year as we get closer to it. So we announced, um, we knew right off the bat that we wanted to open with some sort of special event. First of all, because it's our 10th season and we wanna mark that in some way that's maybe a little non-traditional and second of all this season is definitely going to be non-traditional anyway um so you know i had worked with both of you and kate you especially at the end of our last season when we pivoted and added a virtual cabaret to our lineup um so then creative team really thought let's try to build on that and and so you know we thought who are two people that we could put together how do we keep this production relatively small and safe and all those other things that need to be a part of it and of course, the themes come to mind. So that's kind of how it how it happened on our end. I'm curious from from your perspective, 
um, how you fell into this insanity other than me saying, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we both have missed, have missed performing terribly. We both wish that we've had more opportunities in the last, especially the last couple months when everybody wants a sense of normalcy and we just, we, we really wanted to perform. So when the call came and, and you asked us, it was, it was like, oh my gosh, like, this is perfect. This is what we need right now. I think it was waves of, yes, let's do this. And oh my God, what have we committed to? Well, and then- and, Oh my gosh, we're gonna have to memorize a lot of songs. And, and then it go back to, this is gonna be a lot of fun. I'm having a great time too. Oh my God, it's coming closer. <laughs> and then on top of that, there, there is the whole concern about, okay, now we're exposing ourselves potentially to another environment and more people. And, and I will say that to your credit, Zach, I have never once felt like we were um, pushing the envelope or even close to being uncomfortable in rehearsals because every, everybody was separated. Everybody mm -hmm. had masks on. We took every precaution that even the ones that the CDC didn't say to take, we, we took all of them. Yeah. And I, I mean, every single rehearsal we've been there, we've had to do a check-in. We've had our temperature taken. Um, it, it's just been, it's been great to work in a very safe environment and to be doing what we love again. Well, and that's definitely something that, you know, everyone at Drama Shop takes really seriously. When we were having the conversations about how can we move forward, how do we move forward, you know, safety is, is the number one driver for any decisions that we're making. Um, so, yeah, for us, you know, like you said, Kate, we're doing wellness checks where you have to kind of answer a quick, uh, you know, health survey, temperature checks, masks, the whole deal. Um, we have our crew spread out all over the space and yeah, we're really trying to take every precaution we can. And then, you know, we've, the, the rehearsal process has been very safe just because of the numbers of the people that are in this concert. It's Patrick, myself, and then we have two musicians. And when we started working with Mike on, on, he's playing piano for the concert, it's just three of us. So it, it, it can still be pretty safe, but it, like you said, it has to be something non-traditional and when you think non-traditional you think of the themes <laughs> well we and 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 not to i want to make sure we we give credit to mike malthinger oh. and bob martin um who are our two musicians and uh play wonderfully and, and are just a joy to be with um and we're very grateful to be able to have the stage with them absolutely and and that they were both willing to you know perform under these constraints and you know i it's not comfortable to sit in the space and wear a mask while you're you know playing an instrument or, you know, just even watching rehearsal as I'm doing. And so the fact that they're willing to go along with that, I, I appreciate immensely. So Zach, question for you, how do you as producing manager go about preparing the space and making sure that we are safe? How do you go about doing that? Yeah. So with this production, I mean, kind of part number one was just figuring out the layout of the space. Um, you know, at minimum, we have obviously the two of you, Mike and Bob, um, that are featured on camera uh, in front of the live stream audience. I should probably mention that the audience is entirely remote for this production. Um, That's important. Yeah, important to note. Yeah. Um, then from the crew standpoint, it really was a, what is the bare minimum that we need to make this happen? So that's one person, Tony Gressley running sound, uh, Zach Hoffman running lights. We relocated lights and sound from uh, where we normally have our light booth to our lobby area as far apart as they can be. And then we set up a third station uh, for video production. So we're working with our friends at Cam Erie. They have a crew of four. They have one person who's at that table running the video switcher, and then they'll have three camera people who are kind of evenly spread out in the, in the house and 
at a pretty far distance from you. I mean, we we said, you know, the, I think the minimum recommendation is 12 feet when someone is singing. Um, and so we've tried to, to have at least 12 feet. And in most cases, it's much more than that. So literally step one for us was was the physical layout of the space and figuring out how do we position this? How do we have Bob and Mike far enough upstage that they're away from you? How do we get everyone else either downstage in the house or as far apart in the lobby as can be? Um, so that was really kind of step one. And then those, those protocols, the temperature checks, the wellness screenings, those are things that if I go in on a random Saturday by myself, I'm still doing those things, right? Like we're still, you know, that's just kind of the, the base rule for the venue right now is, is to have those measures in place. So. Um, and where did you, where did you learn about these measures? Where, where are you getting your yeah. readings from? Some of it is uh, looking at what the CDC has recommended. Others, uh, the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts put out some really useful information on how to reopen safely um, for arts organizations. Again, we've kept in mind that if at any point there this becomes problematic. If you know someone in the company uh, gets sick or tests positive, um, we'll shut this down if we have to. You know, hopefully it doesn't come to that, but yeah. but that is kind of in our back pocket. I think we have some intermediary steps um, if you know if we need to make adjustments that we can take. But uh, worst case, if we have to, we'll shut it down. And right. what's odd is that if this was a real concert, you would have to go through the headache of contacting everybody that bought tickets, refunding them. But in this case, you could say, it's not happening now, but when it does, you'll, you'll get your link for free and it'll already be paid for. So there, right. it's oddly, it would be easier to move a digital concert right now than a live concert. Totally. And we're looking at things like, you know, the old Vic theater in London uh, has done some, uh, I think they call it old Vic in camera um, where they've had, they had Claire Foy and Matt Smith doing a, a two-person uh, production where they were on opposite sides of the stage. Um, and so we kind of looked at that as, as a model. I mean, obviously with you two being married, it's a little easier to stage. We're, not... we're dead ringers for Claire Foy and Matt Smith. <laughs> and if you're at opposite sides of the stage, it's by choice. It's not because you have <laughs> That's to. Right. That's right. <laughs> right. And we are for quite a lot of it. Yeah. But they also did a production. I think it was Andrew Scott uh, who had a, a, a non-COVID related medical issue. I think it was some sort of injury or something like that. And they ended up delaying their performances by several weeks um, and still went on with it. So to your point, Kate, I mean, hopefully it doesn't have to happen, but we are prepared to make those adjustments if need be. Absolutely. I know there's a list of people that you're going to substitute for me. So <laughs> that's, I mean, you, you provided the list. Yeah, which I thought true. Was <laughs> that is true. <laughs> it keeps growing every, every time we rehearse. Yeah. So that's kind of how we're, how we approached safety from our end, in addition to, you know, sanitizing, hand sanitizer, you know, disinfectant wipes, all that kind of stuff that's just become, you know, a part of everyday life now. No, it's, it's been a, it's been a really wonderful process. And like I said, we were just thrilled to be able to perform again, um, to be able to have this opportunity to, to do this. And, and we have, we have really enjoyed it. Both of us have really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, it's a process. So the, the weirdest thing for me, I think, is knowing that when we do sing and tell these stories is, is that there is no audience energy, specifically the energy um, more than the response, really, because like you do get that vibe from a live crowd of how it's how it's going. If you should stop telling jokes, if you should, if you're telling the right kind of jokes, I never get those vibes. <laughs> he doesn't get those vibes <laughs> often. Um, 
but it, it's it's that and i you know we've to say we've never really we haven't performed this in front of a, a zero audience yet on the night of we're still not going to know what that vibe is. Yeah, it's going to still feel the same. It's going to be completely in the moment, and we're going to have to roll with the, it. The only thing we're going to miss out on is Zach's slow clap in between each I song. I think he'll fit that in somehow. I, you know, that's honestly, that's one of those, <laughs> like, decisions I need to make here during Tech Week is, like, is <laughs> is sparse applause from me and the occasional laugh from Tony Gressley, like, yeah. that the mics not even pick up, don't even necessarily pick up. Is that I, better or worse than just dead silence? I was just going to say, I, I think dead silence is better than a condescending slow clap. It just <laughs> well, but, makes you feel like it makes you question everything. Sure. I probably should refrain from the condescending <laughs> slow clap. But uh, no, me I mean, laugh, I kind of compare it to, you know, and frankly, one of my biggest criticisms of these live musicals that they've done on TV in the past few years. Um, you know, a number of different outlets, NBC, Fox, others have done them, and they do it in different ways, sometimes with an audience, sometimes without. And the ones without, I, I have always been kind of critical of because it feels flat when that big number ends and they're holding the pose after the button and it's like silence, crickets, and then they move on to the next thing. I, I agree. But I think there's a difference between, uh, you know, Peter Pan and a concert. And, and it's, and I, even using the word concert to describe this event, I think is a little bit of a misnomer because there are non-musical moments as well. You know, there are, yes. there's, we, we featured you two, not only because you're ridiculously talented to the point that it makes me angry, um, but you're also <laughs> funny and entertaining and engaging personalities. And so I think we tried to build in moments to, to showcase your personality as well. So hopefully that energy helps to sustain the absence of, of live audience energy. Right. And having, having Mike and Bob as well, they're going to be there and, and you, you'll be able to hear them too. And you yeah, know, we made them, if you know both of them, you know that they have story upon story of theater and Erie and they're just a treasure trove of little nuggets that they'll sprinkle throughout. Right. We the made concert. the mistake of miking them too. So <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things too, where, you know, when we were rehearsing, you forget that there's no audience and that you have to actually stop habits because several times when I finished a song, you know, I do the normal thing where if you're singing by yourself, you just go, Oh, that, oh, that was awful. And, or you exhale real loud. You're like, I have to remember not to do that. Or you curse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we need to have a swear jar. Uh, hey, great. Well, drama shop fundraiser right there yeah. you go. we mentioned that bob and mike have been willing participants on this ride and i especially you know have to recognize that the two of you have put in so much time and energy and work into this i mean it's not just like you were cast in a show and here's the script and here's the score and we start rehearsing it it really has been from the beginning sort of a a, a partnership among the three of us to kind of come up with that and I mean I really put the the pressure on you guys to say I don't want to arbitrarily come up with a lineup of songs that you have no connection to or no desire to perform you've really curated the lineup for this concert yeah and that's actually one of my least favorite things oh me too and I know Patrick agrees <laughs> me too. too so <laughs> I always feel like when I'm picking songs for myself or for for the kids that I teach or for anybody else I always feel like I'm missing 
songs. I always feel like I'm not thinking of the right mm -hmm. musical or the right piece. And I'm like, I'm going to miss out on something. And so when we were able to bring to you our first slate, it was nice to have that feedback and to be able to ask the questions of, is this appropriate for the venue? Is this going to fit well with the other songs? Does it have the right energy at this point in the show? And I, I love, I would love it if you were to come to us with a list of 15 songs and say, sing these. I'd be like, I have no problem with that. I will do that. Well, I much prefer that over picking and, my own songs. And I have, a, I have a completely different problem because, Zach, as you and I have talked about, we are baritones. Yeah. So the list of repertoire that we can sing is very, very minimal. <laughs> and so like, as we went through the list, Kate would say her song and Zach would go, oh, I've never heard that before. And then I'd say my song and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kate, oh, was, yeah, I've done that one before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's no surprises. There really are no surprises for the baritone voice. Um, uh, now, happily, there are a couple songs that, I, that I'm sure not a lot of people have heard that, that I'll be singing. But, but the majority of it is standard baritone repertoire for, for theater. <laughs> I think yeah. that helped too was to think, what are the songs that you've never had a chance to sing but you've always wanted to? And usually, as we discovered the other night, we were talking through the show, and we kept saying, like, well, this show didn't do well, and this show flopped on Broadway, and this show was a big stinker. And so it's like, nobody ever produces these shows, so here is the time to sing the songs yeah, that you love. Absolutely. Yeah, and for me, I think that's something that I hope audiences will, will really appreciate, is there is, you know, there are those songs that are recognizable, um, but more than that, it's, these are great songs that you may not know. And so, you know, I think there's really something fun about that rather than kind of retreading the same songs that we've all heard over and over again. And, and when we had our list, our initial list, I mean, we're still even paring it down right now because of time and also because we, we want to maintain the same energy throughout the cabaret. Yeah. And we're finding that, oh, maybe in this set we have way too many ballads and it's just too much of a downer. And so it's that kind of process too, that it helps to have new ears to hear like, okay, well, what did you, did you think that the, this, this set of four songs went well together or should we be swapping it out with something earlier in the concert? And that's been, it, I, I, I love that kind of stuff. That stuff I love. Yeah. Give me the songs first, then I'll put them in order. I and like I think that's, that's what makes a show like this fun for me. I mean, I, I don't really consider myself to be a musician. I can sing, you know, okay, but I'm, I'm definitely not a trained musician. So for me, I've been able to focus more on the building a show, right? And, and putting those pieces together with the two of you and coming up with, and being that, that critical eye and ear to say, you know, why don't we try this? Or how do we get from this moment to that moment? And, and that kind of stuff. Well, and let, let's, let's, let's take a pause here and also say that the set that we are performing on is absolutely gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous and all came out of the mind of Zach and with the help of Grise Audio, um, with some of the lighting, um, it, the set is gorgeous. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Absolutely. And we didn't really spend much money on it, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> and everything's reusable. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. No. And, and I'll be completely honest. Cause I think that's, that is, a, a worth mentioning to our audience that like, we, we kind of every step of the way with this show, we went, you know, at some point people are going to get tired of live streams and we don't know if that point has already hit or if it's coming down the road. Um, I hope that it hasn't hit yet and, you know, people are buying tickets and so that's a promising sign. 
But I just keep going back to, well, we're not tired of TV yet. And we've had that for a really long time. Right. So it might just be a matter of connecting your, your laptop to your TV with your HDMI cable so that you're watching it on TV and not, you know, on a small device or something like that. But um, we did, yeah, even with the set, we thought, okay, let's not, let's make this look great, but let's not invest a ton of money in this production because we don't know what the return is going to be. And we've got to be really careful this entire season to make sure that we're juggling expenses, but we're not having unrealistic expectations in terms of sales either, because we're not selling the same conventional experience that we did in seasons one through nine. And for that, I'm so thankful that you made the decision to bring in the, the flying rigging for this cabaret. You know, you got to choose where not to spend and where to spend. <laughs> and damn it, I want you two to fly. <laughs> Thank you, Tom Wager. Every number is in the air. <laughs> well, and what's tricky is because we want to keep the crew size small, you have to fly each other. So, <laughs> <laughs> Which will be fine for, for Kate, not so good for me. So it's going to be an evening of Patrick Thiem and Tom Wager. Yeah. <laughs> He's Flying the fly guy, man. He's the yeah, fly he guy. He is. So I do want to ask you both because, you know, I, as I mentioned, so much of this has been really you kind of picking songs and rehearsing on your own. I mean, we really didn't get together until, what, a week ago for the first time? Maybe a little a couple, more than that now. We had a couple of initial, like, just sit-down meetings outside. Right. Socially distanced. Right. Uh, to say, like, we were thinking of these songs and then you, you gave us your yay or nay. And then I think we got together again to talk about the, the small breaks we would have and what that would entail, what kind of content we'd have. And thanks but, to yeah. the technology of Google, we were able to share documents. And yes, yeah. Google Drive to the rescue. <laughs> but yeah, I think we, we just started seeing each other in, in the performance space a couple days ago. So what's your question? My, my question is, um, for, well, I guess it's a two-parter because first of all, Kate, you mentioned that, that first night in the theater. And I know for me, I found myself, you know, up in my feels a little bit that night. Um, it was the first time we had had a rehearsal in that space in six months. So I'm curious what that experience was like for the two of you. Oh. As, as I sat, you know, in the last row of the theater wearing a mask in a very different rehearsal setting than I've ever been in before, but it still to me was like, I'm back in this space doing the thing that we love to do. I think I, think I can sum that feeling up with a, a story and I'm sure everybody is feeling the same story in different ways. You, you go to work right now and for, for me, it's going to school to teach, which is a challenge in and of itself. Yeah. My allergies are terrible. It's that season, right? You're, you're, you're doing your job. You're coming home. You're exhausted. And you have that feeling of like, I don't want to do anything tonight, right? I don't want to go out. I don't want to see anybody. It's, it's doubled by quarantine. But then we're in the space. We're singing. We're about two or three songs in. And then all of a sudden, everything just shifts. And you go, I love being here. I'm so happy I came out tonight. And like that, that, oh, I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about it. Um, <laughs> that, that kind of magic, I think we've, we've sorely missed out on um, from being inside, from being cooped up and, and having the, the feeling of, I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just feeling down. And, and now it's almost like you got to grease the bicycle. You got to, you got to practice again and, and loosen up and warm up. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, this is a feeling I've not had in a couple months. <laughs> this is yeah. nice. This yeah. is this, nice and missed. This is what we do for fun. This is what this is what gives us joy. And so, not having this for six months has been difficult. And the and not only 
the six months, but the, okay, when, yeah. when, when will we be able to do this? When will it be normal? When will we be able to gather in groups and, and, and not have to worry about this? And there isn't an answer. There isn't a definitive answer right now. So being on that stage and being in that rehearsal the first time it was, it was like, oh yeah, this is normal. Like it's not, yeah. but it is. And, oh, it was, it was really, it's, it's been a really fun process. And being able to sing with live instruments. Yeah. Right. right there, not not a karaoke track on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> Just with, with and collaboration. I love collaboration. Like I love when we worked on the cabaret for drama shop this past summer was I, I, I don't know about you, Patrick, but I got to a point in, in our quarantine where I, I started to work on some project and it was it was a creative project and I, I had that that spark of of energy and it's like, oh yeah, I really miss doing creative projects. And then being able to do the, the drama shop cabaret with you and Nicole was so fulfilling uh, because you could bounce ideas off each other. And after having not seen people, again, that was like a foreign thing. So again, being able to do more collaboration with this concert so that it feels like it's a group effort um, has been very fulfilling. Yeah, and I, I will say one of the bittersweet aspects of it for me was, you know, we we all posted a few photos from that first rehearsal. We shared one on the drama shop page and I think personally posted some as well. And a number of people who we've worked with in the past commented or messaged and were like, hey, you know, I'm willing to to do this or do that. And yeah. and it sucks, but I have to say I love you, but no, like we can't, yeah. we can't grow the number of people that's in the space. It's a small space to begin with. And so, you know, as much as I wish we could just throw open the doors and gather the whole drama shop community again, we're just not there yet. And so, you know, it was, like I said, it was a bittersweet feeling because, you know, obviously the bitter part is having to say no to people, but the sweet part was feeling that community and feeling that, that sense of we all want the same thing, which is to get back to normal, but we just are not there yet. Well, and, th and this also has to be such a passion of love for you to, to have a full-time job and to then turn around and go back out and, and build a set and, and put the people together and put the lights together and put the sound together and call Cam Erie and pull them together. It has to be a labor of love for you because it is, it's incredibly time consuming what you do and you, you don't bat an eye, you just do it. Well, like you both said, this is what we do for fun. And, and maybe, you know, that sounds odd to, to others, but um, you know, and I think I'm also fortunate to have a full-time job that generally at the end of the day, I can, you know, put that job down and I can then pick up my hobby and do the thing that I love to do. But like Kate, like you said about the, the cabaret that we put together afar but not apart over the summer, um, you know, we were doing something we had never done before. And for me, that's part of the, the fun of it. I mean, as much as I wish we were putting together a conventional concert with an audience in the house, um, part of the fun of, of this production too is that, you know, we've, we're, we've all, I keep saying with Greg Hardner from Grise AV, we've all become TV producers now. Like those yeah. of us who, who are so used to, what does this look like in the space? are now thinking about what does this look like on a screen through a lens, you know? Is there a point in isolating where Pat's singing with a special when the camera's only gonna be framing Pat anyway at that particular moment? So, you know, that challenge of, I haven't done TV production since college and, it, and even then it was, you know, minimal. So it's like this new challenge of how do we 
do this new thing. And to me, that's, that's, you know, part of the fun. I started reading a book a while back. This is way before COVID hit, but it was all, it was talking about the things that we do that produce a state of what they call flow. And that is exactly when you are, you're in the moment, you're not thinking about time. You're just solely invested in what you're doing. And I'm finding that those moments happen specifically for me when I'm working with other people that are just knocking it out of the park and they're doing other parts of like, like for the cabaret, like Nicole was this superstar video editor. Yeah. She did so much work on it to the point where I'm working on the music going, I have to, I have to keep up my end. Like Nicole's doing an amazing job. And then Zach was doing an amazing job producing. He had all these ideas and I'm like, I, I just, I don't know if it's going to work Zach, but he was so confident and enthusiastic about it that I was like, okay, like if you're on board, I'm on board. And so those moments of flow happen. And I, I feel it happening in this cabaret too, because Mike has put in so much time and Bob has put in so much time and Zach's had the vision. <laughs> Bob, we're not really sure about, but <laughs> Zach's had the vision. And I know that, that I know Patrick's worked very hard. Yeah. Being 47 years old and trying to memorize <laughs> what 12 songs. Yeah. That's not so easy. Yeah. No, but, I hear yeah. you. It just, it makes you want to up your game. And then you go into the space and you're like, oh my gosh, we have these cameras and the sound uh, crew. And there, there's all these things. And you start to have a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, I don't know if we picked the right people. So Absolutely. you work harder to hopefully, you Absolutely. know, hoodwink them and make them think that he picked the right people. <laughs> oh God, that's my life story. Like it is, it is a case of imposter syndrome, that constant like by what right am I doing any of this, right? So, yeah. no, I mean, I think you're right that so much of it hinges on having the right people in the room, especially when you have to limit the number of people in the room. You know, having the two of you, having Mike and Bob, having Tony who's run sound a billion times and just has a great ear for it. Um, Zach Hoffman doing lights who has done lights for, you know, has run lights for, I think the show with our most light cues, which was the Laramie project. It was like 220 light cues. So, wow. you know, I can, I can trust that, you know, this show is in capable hands across the board. Greg coming in regularly and being like, oh, that doesn't sound so great. Let me fix that. Or, you know, just going above and beyond. And then Cam Erie coming in and, and Jacob Barco, who's the executive director there, who, you know, I had a couple of Zoom meetings with him and said, here's what we're doing. How do we do it? <laughs> and now to have their team, they'll be joining us this week um, and, and handling the video side of it really, you know, with very little uh, direction from me, more like, here's the show on stage, point some cameras at it and make it look yeah. good because yeah. that's where my expertise ends. So, you know, I need someone else's expertise to pick it up, but... Yeah. Anyway, about two hours ago, I started asking you a question. Uh, <laughs> Did we answer it? No, I never asked it. Um, <laughs> okay. No, so I'm curious, like, like I was saying, so much of the work is on your shoulders. And so I, I just wonder if I can, you know, go big picture here for a minute. Where does that work ethic come from for the two of you? Have you always been that kind of like, you know, put in that extra, put in whatever effort to get there? So... I, I was always a very curious child. Obviously, I don't remember much of my, my, my years one through three because who does? So my mom tells me, she tells it that I just had an insane interest in everything. And luckily, I had the kind of parents that were, that were like, yes, of course, you can go explore soccer or whatever. And, you know, and some people don't have that luxury. They have the parents that are like, no, you're going to do this, this, and this, and that's it. But they were, they were completely on board with everything I always wanted to look into. And 
I don't come from a musical family. So I don't know where I got the interest, but I've always, it, it just never felt like work to me. I, I wanted to put in the extra time because I loved playing piano. I wanted to put in the extra time because I love the feeling of singing. And I, I don't know, I've always just wanted to, to best my, my last performance. I've always wanted to improve upon what I can put out. And I've always been very like, something that I struggle with personally is I always am very self-critical. So much that at points you're like, okay, you need to back off yourself and, and give yourself some leeway. But I, 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 especially with music, there are other areas of my life that I like, okay, we'll get to the laundry next week. I don't really care. I can sit in the <laughs> corner. But like I said, the things that like that produce that feeling of flow where you forget what time it is and it's three hours later and it's midnight and you're singing and keeping the neighbors up, it, it's just easy to kind of lose yourself in that sort of space and forget that you're quote unquote working, that you're, you're trying to work harder. You know, it just becomes this moment of like, I'm really, I, I'm where I need to be. So I'll tell a quick story about Kate. Um, about three years ago, she expressed interest in picking up a golf club and swinging a golf club for the first time. And I have been playing for 40 years. Um, and uh, she, she liked it, uh, but would be very upset if she didn't hit the ball very well <laughs> to, to the point where we got her lessons. Um, and the gentleman who had been teaching me dropped me like a bad habit and ran to Kate <laughs> and to the point where he told Kate that if she ever wanted to play in a tournament in Erie, he would caddy for her and now can't even remember my name when we see him. Well, many um, people can't. So, and John, Kate, right. <laughs> yeah. And now Kate is actually a phenomenal golfer um, and gets better and better and better and is going to pass me very, very soon after my 40 years of playing golf. We have, a, we have something on the golf course where if Kate hits oh, a hole yeah. in one before me, the marriage is over. No questions asked. <laughs> we just walk off the golf course and we never talk to each other again. Which is why I'm really trying to hit a hole in one. <laughs> it's your way out, baby. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, so Kate, Kate's driven. I, mean, I Kate, just, I've always loved picking up new things. Like that's. You do that with baking. Been, you do that with everything. It's always been in my blood. I mean, really there, my parents, pushed me, but they, they weren't the kind of parents that would say like, oh, you don't have all straight A's, go to your room and, and lock yourself in there till you, you get straight A's again. You know, it wasn't like, there wasn't the pressure to be perfect or, or to, to do well at anything. But I think that's why I had the space to, to try things and to see if I liked them. And I think because they always said that I could try things, I just always wanted to. And there was never that like, pressure that it wasn't going to work out yeah now now for me i'm going to go back to imposter syndrome syndrome because um i i really i mean and I'm, I'm not being funny i'm actually being really serious about this when i go on stage and perform with kate i understand the level that kate's at and i know how good she is and i know how phenomenal she is and the last thing i want the audience to do is sit there and go yeah but when's kate coming back <laughs> <laughs> this guy is nice and all, but when's Kate going to sing? The camera's not going to be on you, Zach, so he's just going to pan away. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but it, it really is what drives me to, to open the book every single day at work when I have a minute and look at my lines or to think about the lyrics or to try to research the song to understand the meaning behind the song. It is exactly what drives me to do that every day and to keep working on it is so that I don't go out there and, and make people wish that Kate was still singing. No, no. Well, look, I, I mean, don't. I'm actually serious. 
Yeah, I, I believe you are, because um, I, I, I can relate to that totally. But I also don't think there's any real danger of that happening during this performance. <laughs> I think, especially, you know, and it goes back, like you said, to the song selection, where you, you have selected songs, first of all, that fit the baritone range, which is not <laughs> not easy to do. I, I'm here to attest to that. Yeah. But um, but songs that you want to be singing, you know, and, and that definitely comes through and, and songs that, that fit your voice and fit your, your personality and your acting style and all of that. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's one of my favorite things about this performance is that it's, you have moments where you're playing characters through the songs, but you also have moments that feel very personal um, and I think that's really engaging. And I, I think and hope that that will translate on screen the same way that it would if you were sitting in that room, you know, yeah. with, with the performers in the audience. Yeah. Now I'm going to, I'm going to turn the question on you. Where do you get the drive? You know, um, I think I get it from, from my parents. I think, um, you know, Kate, you said you don't come from a musical family. No. I don't, oddly enough, I don't, I don't think I really do either. I think, I, I mean, I have, my oldest brother is actually a musician, which it's almost a happenstance that uh, one of us is into theater, one of us is into music, middle brother was into sports. I mean, you know, so very different, um, but my, my parents are not, I've never heard my dad sing a note in his life. Uh, I don't think I ever will. My mom loves to sing along to the radio, but you know has never done any sort of performance or anything like that. Um, so I do think you know what I did get from my parents. I think from my mom, I got a love of music and of of theater things like that, um, even though she wasn't a participant in it. And from my dad, who for years was you know owned his own trucking company, I got this crazy work ethic from him. This you know, a lot of times when we were little, he wasn't uh, home until we were in bed, but he would always come in and, and tuck us in and everything. Um, but, you know, he worked these incredibly long hours because it was his business. And if he didn't do it, things wouldn't get done. Right. And so I think that mentality is definitely something that that I've picked up from him. Um, so it's it's sort of a blend of my mom's love of those kind of things, of music, of 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 theater and you know we used to go uh, I grew up about a half hour outside of Pittsburgh so we would go in to see shows at the Bayam or you know Civic Light Opera whatever it might be um, so I feel like I definitely grew up being exposed to a lot of theater and that happening simultaneously while I was being exposed to the value of working hard um, I think those are kind of what have blended together to to, to help me you know do what I do at Drama Shop. I think like I, I hear you say that your parents brought you to theater and I think that's such a common thread for so many performers that their parents at an early age saw the benefits of theater and saw what what it could invoke in people and and they were smart enough to bring us to see those live productions so that it's I mean I remember going to the Struthers Library Theater in Warren with my mom on Sunday afternoons and seeing the shows that they did there and that was that left a huge mark on me as I grew up and I didn't even realize until I think it was high school that I really wanted to pursue a career in the arts, even though it went several different ways before it finally landed on the role of teacher. Um, but it, it's those it's those experiences when you're young that are really important. Also, I was thinking, I, I think my mom especially was a huge 
she would always, she would always say the phrase like, well, you can do that. You know, you, you have the ability, you can do that. Like it was always like, it, it was never something for her where she'd say, I, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to be able to, to handle this or do this or, you know, it was, it was never that it was always the belief that I could succeed that I think drove me even farther because I would then, I would be able to analyze my performances. I'm not just talking about like musical performances, but just what I would do for work or whatever. Patrick used the analogy of golf. So you, you start to analyze the things that you do wrong because you want to be better. Yeah. You think that shot didn't land in the right place. What did I do wrong? Were my hands off? My, was my stance incorrect? How about my wrist? And so you start to analyze and I like the analysis of it. Yeah. That drives me more. I will say I have a hard time being really motivated or putting a lot of work into things that I'm not interested in. And that I'm exactly was, the same. I was getting that sense, but I didn't want to call you out on it. Yeah, like kind of no. reading between the lines here. But yeah, yeah no. I mean, I, I was always that kid who on the report card got like does not work to potential because if it was a <laughs> class that, you know, in, in science, for example, I was never really good at science or math. And so then I just kind of checked out of science and math once I realized I wasn't very good at them. And, um, you know, arguably, if I had put in the work, I probably could have been okay at science and math, but they didn't interest me. And so, you know, I leaned heavy into English and history and the courses that I did enjoy and that had some sort of creative outlet. You know, in history, you get to do a, a presentation on a famous person or, you know, the thing where you like dress up as a famous person, like as a, <laughs> as a theater person who didn't know they were, were a theater person yet, it was like, okay, I can, I can That was a creative. red flag right there. <laughs> it should have been. Yeah, totally. Totally. Probably should, should hit up some of the songs that we're going to be singing for the concert just to let the listeners know. Well, yeah. so our concert right now is uh, the goal is to be under two hours for the concert with intermission, with a 10 minute intermission. And we're working toward that goal right now. We'll get there. Um, and, uh, and, and like we have said earlier, like th these are songs that um, either we have really wanted to sing or we like to sing or mean something to us. Um, and a lot of my songs are characters and shows that I've, I've wanted to have the opportunity to play and I haven't had the opportunity to do. I think there's only one so that I can think of right now one that song that I've actually performed and, and done on stage I, I, from a story in my life yeah, yeah that's the only one I can think of right now that I've actually had the opportunity to to perform on stage um so this, the songs are, are are very meaningful to us um and why don't you go ahead and start Kate with with what what you're doing well the same I actually got to the point maybe halfway through our rehearsal process where I went oh crap I picked like five new songs why did I do that you know songs I have never done before but have always heard and wanted to learn. Um, and it, it's been lovely to be able to say like, okay, I don't need a show to sing the song. Like we're going to sing it now. And cause I don't know if it's ever going to happen through Erie. You never know when a, a musical will be staged. So I, I in, in picking the songs, I, I definitely leaned towards shows that have never been put up. That I've oh, never been a yeah. part of. Yeah. Yep. There's a number of them. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple though that are from way back in high school. I was I was telling the story the other night in rehearsal about the maybe the the three to five Broadway albums that define oh, your childhood. You can't you can't bring that up. We may talk about I'm it. I'm not in a gonna cabaret. say which. <laughs> I'm just gonna give them a teaser, 
And Please then, refrain from talking about anything that might be related right? in any way to the concert. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. You're taking her shtick. Drama Shop may or may not be having a concert next weekend. I'm Maybe. not going to confirm. Don't want to ruin it. Don't want to. But spoil. anyway, like a couple of songs from from the, my my high school listening years that again never have performed but but can bring back gosh how many years has it been you know 17 years since i graduated high school <laughs> how long has it been for you patrick go on finish what you're oh, saying sorry. <clears throat> so a couple of songs there um and then and then we got to pick some great duets and i was happy to, to throw in some new ones so yeah it's I think it's been a, it's a lot of new material for me specifically. Yeah. Well, like you said, the, the musicals that didn't do well, like the one that I sing is from City of Angels, and a musical that I'm, I I wore out tapes and CDs of this musical. It was all very jazz, all very um, close harmonies, and the story was really cool. But Nolan and Erie has ever has ever tried to do it. I talked to Andrew Rainbow a number of times about let's do this, let's do this. And no, no one ever wants to do this musical. But City of Angels is, is one that uh, I, I could have picked four or five songs from that show and, and the one I picked I'm really happy with. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm doing one from, there was a, a version of Jane Eyre. And of course in Erie, everybody knows Jane Eyre to be the Coratory Malthander version because that's the Playhouse, what the Playhouse did. And uh, it's, a, it's a great version. But I, I knew of the Jane Eyre version of the Broadway show totally bombed it, it did not do well at all but there's such gorgeous music and you think how could this have bombed if the music is this good but it's just one of those things where there's so many factors that go into the success of a show and that yeah. didn't have it but i i'm singing a song called sweet liberty from jane Eyre that i've i've been singing since i was in 10th grade yeah it's so bizarre and one of my favorite things that you're doing is mad hatter i talk, another talk show that. yes yeah. that's from frank wildhorn's Wonderland, because I always get it wrong. Finding Neverland and Wonderland, they're two different shows, but Wonderland. And you're singing Frank songs from both. And I'm singing yeah, songs from both, right. so I hope I keep this straight. But um, he he's someone that I first knew from Jekyll and Hyde. He wrote Jekyll and Hyde, and that was like my, that was my show. In high oh, school. me too. Oh, that was my show. I did it in high school uh, for dinner theater, and I would I would kill to do it again. But he wrote that show, and he wrote Scarlet Pimpernel, which is also another oh, one of my favorite all-time shows, and no one's ever done it. Um, but then he wrote this Wonderland, and there are some there are some fantastic pop pieces in the show, and you listen to the the recording, you're going, this has got to be amazing. And then you, I, I found perhaps I found a bootleg somewhere. Mm -hmm. Oh dear. And watched it and it was like, oh, this is, I now see why this did not succeed for very long on Broadway. And a lot of his shows go through iterations. They have different scripts. There's different versions. And, and I think this one was in the same boat, but it just never got off its feet. So I'm very happy to be singing this song. And actually where I found it was when I used to play for General McLean's Broadway Dinner. Oh, that's where I found it? the song. Oh, yeah, that. that's where I find a lot of songs is thanks to Bruce Yates because he has. See, he's somebody that can pick songs, and with Trisha as well, they do a great job picking songs for that Broadway dinner. They pick the best songs for the kids, and then I just put pull them in my book because there's so many good songs. Yeah. Well, next time you go, you got to find the baritone songs for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, the one the one of the ones that I picked that I really enjoy is from a, a Cy Coleman musical. And I did a Cy Coleman um, show. I did a Cy Coleman concert a number of years ago. Um, and when I started teaching in Meadville, 
they had a record collection for those kids out there records were vinyl and they were round and you put a needle on them and the needle scratched and it made noise you think um, we get a lot of kids listening to the shop talk podcast <laughs> there, Patrick? i don't know i don't either um, <laughs> i know that you had a, a really big tween audience for bloody bloody andrew jackson yeah that's true Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I came across this album of a Broadway musical from the 70s called Barnum. And every day before the kids came in, I would sit and listen to Michael Crawford sing Barnum. Um, and there was some really neat music. There was a, and they did some neat uh, special effects for the 70s. And one of the songs that, that he sings is the story of the, the colors of my, my life, the colors of my life. And I've loved that song and I would sing along to it in the, in the morning. And so when this came up and my brain started thinking about songs, I was like, oh, that song would be really nice. And it's nice and slow and nice and soft and it doesn't last too long. And <laughs> It's just, I really enjoy it. That's actually my favorite song you sing is in that the right? whole concert. It is wow. because you, you do a lot of funny up-tempo songs, which, you know, I think the majority of the roles you've played in shows has been the, the comic lead or, um, you know, someone that is larger than life. And so when you get to sing the more intimate songs, it, it's such a contrast that it, it kind of takes my breath away a little bit. I would agree with that, Patrick. I think you and I often, you know, fall into the same sort of typecasting where um, because you can do comedy, they give yeah. you the comedy right. and so, and so you don't always get to do the the more um not that there's anything wrong with comedy i've had i've had great experiences i i absolutely agree with that um but you you miss out on getting to do something that's maybe a little weightier and so yeah. i i've enjoyed hearing those songs from you um you know, and, cool. and somewhat selfishly too, just like Kate with the, with the Broadway dinners, I, I'm kind of taking your songs and going, okay, I'm going <laughs> to hang on to that one. I'm going to hang on to this because I might need this someday. Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I, I really like when you get to be, you get to sing the, the songs that tell more stories and, and, you know, like you're singing I Am El Dolfo from Drazi Chaperone, right. which is just, I love that show, that show. I saw that show like two or three times on Broadway when I was living in New York City. And that's fun for me to watch because you are so funny. I mean, you yeah. are. But then, like, like I said, when you get to slow things down and show a different side of you, that's, that's my favorite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite ones we do is the closer of act one, which we, yes. we perform the song from once, but we do the movie version. We don't do the Broadway version. <laughs> There's a distinction. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. That, that, yeah. Um, what else? Um, I really like singing the, the duet from Finding Neverland with you. Oh, what you too. mean to me that one that was a new one and it really has grown on me quite a bit yeah me too. i love the vibe it sets i i love the harmonies in that that one is really fulfilling that one's yeah all of our of duets i enjoy i enjoy our, our duets together the, the the one from tangled at the end i enjoy too yeah, yeah that was a nice little addition yeah to it yeah. and i think it's great how the two of you as performers you can turn on a dime you know you can go from doing uh What's the the Kristen Chenoweth one? The, oh, the girl in fourteen G. That's right, the girl in fourteen G to you know uh, a ballad that'll just absolutely destroy you know everyone and leave you wrecked. Uh, and then and and you know like you said with the duets, there are these great, really truly intimate moments um, between the two of you in these duets. And then you know to go from that to another comedy piece and not have it feel disjointed or like you know, like 
why are these in this order? You know, I, I really yeah. feel like it, it's a fun and moving experience from, from beginning to end. And I, I think if I had to pick, this is a great question for you, Zach, as well, and Patrick. If you had to pick between doing comedy or drama for the rest of your life, oh, no. what would you pick? For the rest of my yes. life? Yes. We're in a weird alternate world where there's oh. only comedy or there's only drama. Well, I, I'll go first. I, comedy feeds my soul. I love doing the comedy stuff. Every once in a while, and I did comedy shows for years and then had the opportunity to be Richard the Lionheart in the... Um, Lion in Winter. Lion in Winter. And it was such a dramatic role. And I like... Uh, it, it was one of those shows, and I think we've all done them, that the people on stage had more fun than the audience. <laughs> <laughs> but I like I loved being that character and being so down and dull and boring and I absolutely loved it. I think Lion in Winter and this is no reflection on that production at all. I but I think it might be one of those shows where there's a reason it works better as a movie, you know? Like absolutely. <laughs> it's not it's not super um I don't want to say engaging. That's not the right word, but it's just, there's something different about it on film than on stage. Like I said, it was way more fun for us on stage than it was yeah. for the audience. But, but at comedy though. So I, I love those moments where I get to do the dramatic stuff, but the comedy, man, I just, I just love it. And the, the feedback from the audience. Okay, Zach, what about you? That's a really tough question. It really is. That's why I um, asked it. Yeah. I mean, first of all, that alternate reality you described sounds awful. Uh, I don't want to, <laughs> which is surprising right now. You'd think any alternate reality would be better than our actual reality. Well, actually, I'm gonna throw a little carrot into this question. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two questions as a director and as an actor. Ah. Ooh, um, God, that's even harder. All right. <laughs> so, oh man, um, which one do you want me to answer first? Director or actor? Director. Okay, all right. Um, and do I get to put any caveats on this? Because, because <laughs> well, here's the, the director, thing. so. <laughs> well, okay, all right. <laughs> Directing comedy is a, is fun, but it, it, like you said, it's probably harder than drama. Um, because I think when it comes to directing comedy, there are certain rules to comedy that you can teach. I absolutely believe that. Just like any other skill, I think there are things in comedy that you can teach someone. But I also believe that there are some people who are just not good at it. Mm -hmm. And so directing unfunny people, <laughs> yeah. or, and maybe it's not, maybe that's not the right word. Directing people who don't- What are you take... trying to say, Zach? <laughs> oh, it's been awful. <laughs> <laughs> no, directing, it's, and it's less about whether they're funny or not, I think, and more about do they take direction or not, right? Yes, First of yes. all, do they bring that inane, inane, that's innate, innate. 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 <laughs> what are you trying to say, Zach? <laughs> this is not about you. This is not about you. Uh, if they bring that innate comedy skill to the table, great. If they don't bring it and they don't take direction, yeah. I can't get you there. I am yeah. never going to get you there. Yeah. Whereas in a drama, I think I can get you there, right? Because yeah. if you if you take direction a little bit better, or even if you don't, the material's different and doesn't require, this sounds awful, doesn't require that same level of precision as comedy. It's a different kind of precision. I agree. 
So as a director, I think if I had to choose for the sake of the ease of it, I would say drama because Hmm. I think that would be an easier challenge if this is all I'm doing for the rest of my life (laughs) than trying trying to get people who are not funny and don't take direction to do comedy well. I just, I think you're fighting a losing battle. Um, Gosh, now I have to pivot and think as a performer. And I think this is so counterintuitive because I think I'm better at comedy. Uh, I think I would say drama. And the reason I'm going to say it is because I'm 37 years old. And for most of my 37 years, I've done the comedy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think up until you know doing the flick at Drama Shop two years ago, which was still kind of a comedy, but a more dramatic role for me. And then Nevermore, I think for a lot of people, those were the first times they ever really saw me do drama because you know I, they think of me as Leo Bloom from the Playhouse or the MC from Cabaret a million years ago at Gannon. And so I, I think for my own um, satisfaction, like the, the experience of Nevermore was unlike any other show I've worked on because I've not been put into a dramatic role and of that caliber before. So that challenge was a unique one. Although I would even argue that that was in a lot of ways still a character role, um, you know, in that and very presentational because it's musical theater. So I don't know if I answered the question or not. I think you did. Yeah. I think that I- Yeah, go go ahead. You brought it up. I know, I know, I know. And I, I think I had a reverse experience from you. Whereas most of my life, most of my performing life in high school, and I would say into my early 20s was ingenue, uh, romantic lead, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And I remember being in high school, this has nothing to do with performing, but being around my group of friends and you definitely had the, the person in your group of friends that was the funny one, right? And I think that there were a couple of those people in the circle I hung out with. And I always would sit there and they'd make jokes. I think, oh, I want to be the funny one. I want to I want to make people laugh. But I was really, I grew shyer and shyer as high school went on. I, I did not have a good experience. So I got really shy at the end of high school. So I remember that feeling of like, I, I think I could be funny, but no one's ever like, let me have that kind of platform. I don't, maybe I'm not funny. I'm just not funny. I'm not meant to be funny. And it wasn't until I think, gosh, it wasn't until I started doing stuff at the Playhouse that I was even in a fu- in a comedy, and that was Forbidden Broadway. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say I've told you a million times that when I saw Forbidden Broadway, Jess and I saw it together, and I, I think we turned to each other at the same time and said, "Holy shit, Kate Amatuzo's funny." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even know it. It, 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 it. All I remember feeling was this insane sizzle of energy getting laughs from the audience that you're like, this is addictive and I need more right now forever. So I think I would lean toward to say performing comedy because it is so smart and you do need that timing. You said there's so many rules, which there are. And um, it is so much fun to also direct comedy. And I've only ever directed middle school age children. That's my caveat with all this. But even with them, it is such a joy to direct comedy with them because they're so silly anyways. And then you're there to say like, you're doing really great, but here's how you can make it even funnier. Like, yeah. You're already goofy. You already have that. Here's how to go a step beyond that. And here's By applying step. those rules, right? Yeah, By, exactly. Yeah. And I remember um, a couple years ago, I've never had this happen before. We were in 
New York City seeing some shows and we saw the play that goes wrong, which is oh. a straight, play. it's a play, it's a comedy. And every, it, it is like noises off times 10. Yeah. And I walked out of there, not thinking that this is a bucket list show for me as a performer, but I would kill to direct this. I don't want to be in it. I want to direct it yeah. because something about sitting there and watching all of the immaculate timing that was going on and, and all the, the right inflections and the looks and just, it makes you want to direct a show. And I've never, ever had that from any yeah. other show, but that show. Mm -hmm. So comedy, but I feel like some of the better songs are dramatic. Oh yeah, I agree. <laughs> For sure. I think I want to change my answer. <laughs> <laughs> For which one? Yes, both. Yes, both. Um, no, I mean, I, I will, Kate, you mentioned the audience, right? And that sort of sizzle that you get from, from those moments of connection and the bursts of laughter. And, you know, I think of Nevermore Again, where there is literally not even an applause break no, in the show. No, not at all. Right? There was one point where we thought, well, if anywhere, there might be applause after this one number, but it's like 45 minutes into the show. And by then the audience has, has gathered the rules of the production and of etiquette dictate that they not interrupt the show, right? And I know exactly where you're talking about because I definitely had that feeling in act one where I'm like, I want to clap, but nobody clapped. Because well, they thank you for know. not clapping. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So yeah, maybe there's that that inner part of me that's like, oh, you know, ha having not thought about the question long enough, it would feel really unsatisfying to do that for the rest of my life and to not hear that applause. Now we're getting into some like psychotherapy. <laughs> I, was I have to hear the applause, Kate. I was gonna say like one of my favorite theater performing sounds is the sound of, of laughter from somebody else, not my own. Like a <laughs> I love room to hear full. myself laugh. Like a yeah. room or, or even, yeah. you know how if you, you've done enough theater and you, you know that there's that one actor that you've you know, performed opposite that if you can get them to laugh, their laughter is so satisfying because oh, it's just so hearty or it's hard to get a laugh from them that when you make them laugh, it's just the best thing in the world. Okay, but I'm going to counter that with that moment when you're on stage and you do that dramatic song and you finish the last note and there's space before the applause. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, I love that too. Yeah. Some spaces are like three hours because there's no <laughs> audience. We're just singing for ourselves. <laughs> If we that's, get to three hours, story. I'm cutting the feed. <laughs> oh, you know what else? You're going to cut the feed a number of times, I think. Yeah. Another good one is when you do like a big note and there's a pause before the song goes on. Yeah. And maybe it's like the dramatic climax of the song and you know that there's more, but like this is where you gave it all and you know you have to go on. But then there's that split second of like nothing. And you're like, the audience is doing nothing they're dead silent but you feel that like rapt attention right yeah. like they're just they're hanging they're and you. waiting yeah yeah and you totally. like you want to let that go on for as long as you can but you really shouldn't <laughs> yeah you should you should keep the show going so for yeah. our concert uh next friday and saturday is that when we're doing it i hope so okay yeah. next friday and saturday uh we will be um vibing on the silence after our songs yeah <laughs> we're gonna take the silence of the audience to mean that it's, we're it's doing, they're, we're they're doing enjoying okay. it. I think, you know, go ahead and assume that there are <laughs> moments of thunderous applause happening in living rooms across the country. Across you, the country. You know what? Can around you, the globe. Can you, in like five days, can you make us people cutouts to put in the chairs like they've done in, in the sporting NFL events? I the, swear to God, I NBA. had that thought. And I you had can make that them thought. people from Erie. That's awesome. You can make I, like 
I thought, is this a fundraising opportunity we're missing? Like, donate and you can be cardboard in the audience. I was just going to do air quotes on a podcast. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Can we get a a cut out Elena Manchester? I want a cut out of Elena in the audience for sure. We're going to get a projection on the back wall. Holograph, hologram. (laughs) I don't want her eyes judging me. I don't want that. Yeah. (laughs) I would like that. I mean, you have me in the back judging. <laughs> yes, I know. Yes, we know. I know. We know. We know, Zach. <laughs> and we're taking why we're asking for other cutouts. <laughs> like Zach had said, the number of people that even my own mother, my own parents could not come. They, they, they right. could not be part of the audience. So, mom, I'm not telling you a lie. You truly can't come. I'm yes, sorry, but, Judy. <laughs> but your mom will get tickets to watch on to watch online. Yes, will she? she'll and and just to give a little tease, she she will be in the show some way or other. That's a great tease. That I'm not going to say how I love or that. when, but she's somehow in the show. But not in the I'll space. Say. That's but important. Not in the space. space. Correct. Yeah. Correct. She actually, what's funny, like I mentioned before, is my, both of my parents are not musical, um, but my mom has always joked with me when I've been in things over the years. Like she always say, well, do you need a backup dancer or a backup singer? And I, I had said to her at one point, like, well, maybe we, we could do some backup vocals, you know, and I had thought maybe we could get this to work, but at, always at the last minute, she always backs out. It's always like she's, she, <laughs> she talks big, she but then doesn't follow through, but we've yeah. never performed together. Neither. I've never performed with either of my parents, but you've had that. I you've have. been able to. I perform with my dad. Yeah. And your, well, your mom cool. sang in the church choir. Well, yeah. No, I mean, on stage. I, yeah, I ah, sang with right. my mom a ton, but. Yeah, I had the opportunity to be on stage with my dad, yeah. Well, maybe the next live from Drama Shop should be uh, Kate and Judy. We'll oh see my how gosh. this goes. Absolutely. Let's have like a poll. like that, yeah, the next live from Drama Shop. Like, <laughs> we haven't even done this one yet. And I'm like, I'm over it. Screw it. Let's plan the next one. <laughs> There's got to be something better out there. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to have a poll at the end. You can do a Google form. You can say... Out of the performers or people you might have seen in tonight's I don't concert, want to, I don't want this to happen. Who would you like to I see again? Let's not do this. We all know it's going to be Bob Martin. It's just Kate, a night with Bob Martin. Let me let me take that one step further. Let's do it at the end of Act One. <laughs> <laughs> who do you want back for Act Two? It's a choose your own adventure. Oh no! Well, that was fun. You enter a theater and there are two performers. One is Kate. Who is the other? Yeah. Is weirdly, it weirdly enough? They're going to eliminate me. Oh well. Oh it's no. It's been a good run. Our Gelman is gone. He's our Gelman. Yeah, who's who's gonna quip from the back of the theater? That's it's up right. to Tony Gressley. Yeah. I have to say having his laugh at rehearsal helped so much. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Just to have that hearty, hearty like I said, laughter is amazing. Yeah. I miss yeah. laughter. Well, I have to say, you know, we we have all talked about how great it is to be back doing the thing that we love. And I'm just so thrilled that you guys are, are doing this and working with you is always great. So, I, you know, to do it in this capacity in these times is definitely an enjoyable experience for me. Oh, well, we feel the same. We feel very honored that you asked us. Uh, we're, we're having a blast. I don't want it to end. And uh, just thank you for, for allowing us to play again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for thinking of us and thank you for, for taking a chance on us. Well, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I want to be clear. We yet. can pull the plug on this at any minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but we probably won't because uh, we're yeah. in this we're in this deep so you know keep swimming right yeah. thanks to pat and kate for joining me on this episode live from drama shop and evening with kate and patrick theme is this friday and saturday september 18th and 19th 2020 at eight o'clock eastern time you can watch anywhere in the world get those tickets at dramashop.org Tickets are $15 a person. We are asking that each person buy a separate ticket, even if you're watching together. Your support fuels our mission and makes Drama Shop possible. And it's more important than ever in these critical times as we pivot to online programming at Drama Shop. Thanks again to Pat and Kate for joining us and to you at home for listening to this episode of Shop Talk, brought to you by Drama Shop, theater in process. (laughs) 